Hey, Jeff. Hey, Eric. How are you? I'm pretty exhausted. How are you? <laughs> I am also very exhausted. Yeah, very long weekend. We went to an SNL after after party. Yep. Shout out to DJ Khaled. And we got home at 5 a.m. Yep. Got back to Penn Station on a 7.45. Out to the Hamptons. At, and by the way, we are not those guys who go to... Maybe we are. Maybe we are those guys. We've we go to SNL after yeah. parties, and then we just get the first thing smoking out to Eastern Long Island, the Hamptons. We went to... We were invited to... Yeah, we didn't just show up at. We were invited to watch Game of Thrones, the the series finale that everybody has said it was perfect. Everyone was talking about it, everyone was looking forward to it, and we were going to watch it in this glorious viewing room out in the Hamptons. Mm-hmm. And you know what? We got out there early and the weather was perfect, the estate was perfect, the company was great. The company was perfect. It was a bucolic. I mean, there was there was nothing bad about it. And no, there was water. There was a pier. It was a pier that went into the water. It was great. We were talking about seaplanes. <laughs> it was it was all great. Mm-hmm. And um, we're throwing the football around. We're taking naps. We're just enjoying yeah, the weather. We're taking naps. Taking naps all over that By the beautiful way, piece of property. That is us. <laughs> yeah, that I, I'm, I'm. SNL after parties, maybe not. Yeah, taking a nap. Naps though, so dope. And so I also played backgammon. Listen, it was a it was a hell of a start to the to the day. This I was is, my best self. This is yesterday, so Sunday. We had lunch. The food was great. They're making all sorts of breakfast and lunch and just more food than you can even imagine. We're eating it all and on very little sleep, they start passing around this zucchini bread and I took some and then they were like, "Oh, that's the zucchini bread that we made last night with a lot of weed. Dr- yeah, a lot of drugs. A lot of drugs. It, it was made with uh, drugs and love. Wait, where was I at this point, by the way? Yeah, I, you were napping. Oh, okay. You, you were napping, and uh, and I, I took this. You know, it's a slice of zucchini bread. It was sliced into fourths, and I figured, you know what? I didn't take that much, and so what could possibly happen? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. What was your perspective? <laughs> My perspective was we were sitting, and we were eating lunch, and you went... Uh, to the bathroom, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I had to. I had to leave. And you came back, and you whispered in my ear, <laughs> which was weird. Yeah. And you whispered, and you said, uh, "Jeff, I need you to come with me." Yeah. Because I need to tell you something. Yeah. And then we went off. Uh huh. And you went way further, and then you came back, and then you said, "I, uh, I took." drugs and i just want you to know that everything is slowing down Uh (laughs) uh-huh and that i need you to just be with me yeah and i said okay and then i went off with you and then immediately i said okay but why don't i go and tell everybody Uh uh-huh yeah (laughs) (laughs) not to embarrass me no to to to, to figure out how to how to deal with you guide me because otherwise it was just like Hey, where did Eric go? Uh-huh. Oh, I don't know. He's uh he's resting somewhere <laughs> else. He's resting in the back room. So don't bother him. From my perspective, we're sitting at lunch. We're all outside at this great long table, and there's a beautiful spread, and I'm enjoying everything. And then it felt like a truck just hit me. And But not like a fun truck. No, this was like an 18-wheeler that was like uh driven by the drug yeah 
industry. I, listen, I I just know everything slowed down considerably. I know that this was not the the fun high that I was perhaps looking forward to. This was so far in my own head. Over the course of the next three and a half hours, I just couldn't tell what was real and what was not. And you were very vocal about that. You kept saying over and over, is this real? Is this real? Well, is this a video game? Yeah, I would look at you and everybody else. Well, first of all, this happened at a place that I was at for the first time. So this was not familiar territory. Everything I looked at, I was like, I'm in a movie. Mm-hmm. This is some sort of... And not to be like matrixy about it, but this was some sort of other dimension or something like that, right? Like mm-hmm. you, mm-hmm. I was like, in my head, I thought to myself, has Jeff always looked like that? Or is this just what I'm imagining Jeff to look like right now? Yeah, you said to me that I look like an idea of myself. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is accurate. Um, I I could not tell whether this was Truman Show or reality or what was reality anymore and that happened for the next three and a half hours and in the middle of that so I know I laid out on the grass I know there's pictures of me Mm -hmm. laid out on the grass I know I I was uncomfortable everywhere and kept walking around and moving my place to different rugs or places or whatever yeah um honestly my biggest concern during this whole thing besides like getting stuck in this purgatory between these two worlds well because you thought you know am i alive or am i i really didn't know you know yeah this it it's crazy how it 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 didn't take the fun parts this took like the insecure parts of my life like am i dead Mm -hmm. you know am i dying is this it is this is this the moment where everything changes that's what it struck on for three and a half hours Mm -hmm. but my biggest concern was that i would be all right for game of thrones (laughs) <laughs> this, I swear to God, I was like, I need to make this all right. But I was so confused in the moments or lots of moments. Yeah. Because this was not a house I was familiar with. Am I dreaming this? Is this real? And I hate to be so cliche about this because mm. I didn't want to be like, oh, yeah, the guy who doesn't do this goes out to the Hamptons, does it, and then has this otherworldly vision or something like that i don't want to be that guy yeah i was that guy so i was playing um backgammon yeah which is also very unlike me uh-huh. i guess we all did things that were we unlike go. ourselves yeah and i looked over to where you were staying like inside the house uh-huh and you you looked like you know when like a raccoon um <laughs> gets like the garage lights like turn on and it's been caught like eating trash? That was me. That was you you like looked around the corner and you were just like huh. <laughs> I I swear to god, I kept thinking to myself this is not like me. Like it was like I was looking at myself from this other perspective and I know I sound so high right now cuz maybe I'm still residually you know, maybe 20 hours after still suffering from this. Well, I put drugs in your breakfast. Oh, wait, no, wait. So we found out, (laughs) we found out that I took, not only did they put like four times the amount they would normally put into this bread, Mm -hmm. but I also ate more than than the professionals did. (laughs) The professionals. Yeah. No, I am clearly an amateur. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that that's what I'm going you to title lot, the yeah. photograph <laughs> when I print it out yeah. and put it up on a wall. Well, the yeah. amateur. Yeah, it was uh, it was weird. But then do you watching Game of Thrones? Yeah, I think I was fine by then, honestly. Like I was fine enough. I had control enough. Like 
there were three and a half hours where everything but was outside of my would control. Would drugs have made it better? Is what I'm asking. Oh, oh, like, oh, should oh, I oh. have taken drugs? I think so. Okay. I, th- I think so. I think my, mine was way more dramatic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> than um than anything that happened at Westeros. So yeah. Anyway, uh, by the way, if people want to hear a fantastic review of season eight of Game of Thrones, please, please, please go check out Two Jews and Two Black Dudes review the movies. That's us and Styles and Chic. And we are just super yelling. High. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talk about guys who are on drugs. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that conversation made sense. It was fascinating, a fun episode, and that is available on its own feed. Two Jews and Two Black Dudes reviewing movies. Jeff, today on A Waste of Time with It's the Real, we have Jordan Klepper. Jordan Klepper, host of Klepper, the new series on Comedy Central. You'll know his work from The Daily Show. He's got an unbelievable story. Yeah. Starting from Kalamazoo, Michigan, and making his way down to Chicago to do improv. He was a math and theater major in college. Who would have thought? He ended up uh, traveling with Second City on, you know, one of those Carnival Cruise Lines. Yeah, like a Scientology boat. <laughs> and, and he made his way to New York, unsure how his his career was going to go doing like you know reality tv writing and sort of trying to get in the scene and make his mark and once he hit the daily show with john stewart and later with trevor noah jordan klepper really found his own space and his own lane and now he has this amazing new series that we talk about with him it's called klepper it's a documentary series it's like it's like those remotes that they would do for the daily show except like longer and maybe more focused on the fight than it is actually uh, getting to make fun of the people around it. Would yeah. you say that's right? Sure. All right, sure. I'm still high, Jeff. I don't know. We had the best time with Jordan. Great episode. Great episode, Jeff. When you want to get into it? Right now. Yo, what up? It's Eric, a.k.a. Blowing Loud, a.k.a. Ricola. Yo, what up? It's Jeff, a.k.a. Talking At Your Neck, a.k.a. Emphysema. And this is Jordan, uh, <laughs> a.k.a. To Be Determined, a.k.a. TBD. Yes, your third favorite podcast, Waste of Time with This is The Real. Bang, bang. And you know not to bang on the table. So. I've, been, I've, been, I've been briefed with the rules, <laughs> and there will be no banging on the table. This is everybody at home right now, this is gonna be the it's gonna be the kindest, softest <laughs> podcast. There will be no pops in your ear. That's a guarantee. Yeah, right now, it's my hands ASMR. Are in my yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. I want people getting off to this. <laughs> and a bang on the table could immediately stop that. And mm-hmm. so I, I I know where my money lies. Right. Uh, no banging on the table, only banging under the table. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Jordan, um, you have created one of our favorite videos online right now, which is you and Bill and Hillary all at one computer looking at all these ways to spend your money. And you had Hillary read part of the Mueller report. Boom. It's the best. It's wild, right? How in the world did that happen? Man, it was it was a strange one. I got asked by the Clintons to uh, moderate an event. Which, and I'm making that sound like that's something that happens a lot. It doesn't. Yeah. Ha- it doesn't happen a lot. They were like, but I got. They reached out. They asked if I'd moderate an event, and then threw something out there, which was like, and we might want to do a fun video or something. Is there anything you'd like to do? And it was like, okay, yeah. Pitched a few things their way, and, and one of the things that she loves <laughs> is reading the, the Mueller, Mueller report. report. <laughs> she was like, I'll just see, see what she's getting into. She loves the Mueller report. <laughs> she didn't even know it was being filmed. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, I'm doing this anyway. So it's a Wednesday morning. Let's read the Mueller report. It was it was completely it, honestly it was a little bit bonkers. The the idea behind it was like, will you help me spend some money on good causes, GoFundMe's, all of that? They were game, and we went up to Bill's office and uh, in Harlem. In Harlem, yep. yeah. And 
again, all of this was very new, strange uh, situation. Didn't know fully what to expect, except that they were like, oh, we can probably film for like 20 minutes. I have a bunch of GoFundMes, uh, Kickstarters. I'm going to spend at least a thousand bucks and let's, uh, let's just see how they react to it. And I had, they said they were game and open to be playful and what have you. And we had a bunch of serious ones. We had some more uh, outlandish ones. And we had like the Mueller report that she could read the Mueller report. And they, they went for it. They're great improv partners. Oh, my God. They were amazing <laughs> improv partners. It was so funny because I had some very serious ones. They, they were really playful. And honestly, I give them credit. I think they really enjoyed the fact that we got to play, kind of do bits and play off one yeah. another. Also, it's weird doing status games with the president <laughs> and the secretary of state. <laughs> so like, but I think President Clinton liked that. The yeah. fact they could be like, President Clinton, we got to move on. Move on. Like, he, he doesn't have a lot of people who take high status. Yeah. It's like me and Mandela, and that's about it. <laughs> No, and that won't be the only time I reference myself in the same sentence as Mandela oh, in good. the course of this podcast. We're okay. so ready. Yeah. Yeah. Just get ready. Yeah. But a thing that we quickly realize <laughs> is like there, we, we, had, we, had, we had things we thought they would just throw away. Like, oh, I have details about goats and shit like that. <laughs> and they are so confident in their opinions about almost anything that they immediately jumped on everything and talked five, ten minutes. Hillary told me stories about going to Mongolia where the women used to um, milk horses and how important that is to the economy. And like in my head, this was just going to be something I make a joke about. We move on. <laughs> that that We talked for probably 45 minutes. I brought up uh, summer clothing. She gave me notes on that as well. All of this thing made the cutting room floor. because Wait, summer end, clothing meaning like she shorts are out. <laughs> yeah, basically, I, I brought up uh, tank tops and which tank tops I should purchase for potential <laughs> beachwear and, and the president and Secretary Clinton were very opinionated about that uh, and they really didn't hold back on critiquing my overall my overall fitness you could take this device I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think you had a little bit of drugs uh, and an, an overall kind of difficult work environment that's a vice show and you started with like a 20 minute cap but you went on for twice that went on for twice the, I mean it's what sort of did you want to see how far you could take it they were well honestly they both they you know the the people around the clintons were, were very specific like this is your timetable what have you the president loves to talk and like honestly even meeting the president beforehand he's giving me a tour of his office and he has a story about every book that he has i mean i'm half making jokes about oh i bet you've read all these books in this office and he's like well i, I have let me tell you about <laughs> and and then when we sit down they just kept wanting to go and were engaged and were having fun with all of it. And I think like, you know, he had a big list of things to do that day and so did she, but we just kept Or maybe going. they didn't. Or maybe yeah. not. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, to they be have honest. nothing going on. It might be. I think in the other, like, I think we read most of the Mueller report that day. <laughs> and you didn't decide to ruin it by being like, you didn't go to Wisconsin. <laughs> I mean, I will admit it was on one of my notes. It was like, it was like I think I have to bring up Wisconsin as a, as a comedian or as a person in this culture. We sure. just, you, you bring, you hear Hillary and you say Wisconsin. I think they just have to go together. Yeah. How did you leave it with them? Were you like, can we, I don't know, come back? Well, or are you on a group text with them? Oh, yeah. We, we're hanging out <laughs> yeah. all the time. Yeah. I mean, what was surreal about that is I left it with them. And this was before I did the moderating event, which was that weekend. And so I see them again four days later. And uh, the video played at this big event. Um, and so I go on stage to introduce them in front of uh, this audience, and I come backstage to watch as they're playing it, and I get to watch them watch the video I did with them. That's wild. It was so weird. Yeah. So literally, like, President Clinton is right up there close <laughs> to the screen and just smiling. Secretary Clinton's behind and just laughing throughout the whole thing. It was it was very strange. You must have left on, like, the, the highest of highs. Oh, my God. It was, it was a big high. Actually, yeah. I left with what I... <laughs> 
<laughs> I left with a moment with President Clinton where, you know, I, I, was, I grew up as a kid always wanting to meet a president. I, like, loved going to D.C. with my family. And, I, you know, we had this very strange week where I see them a few times. And <laughs> President Clinton, after he'd seen the video, he really enjoyed the video. And he comes up to me and he tells me, he's like, Jordan, he's like, I have something that's it's right up your alley. It's right up your alley. And he starts describing what I think is a video because I'm also, like, <laughs> Kind of excited, don't fully know what the situation is. He starts describing something that has to do with a buffalo in a convertible. <laughs> and I think it's some sort of YouTube video that he says is directly up my alley. And, what? Yeah. and, I, and I, I, I leave. That's where it ends. And I leave. I'm like, wait, what is this? Like, the president imparted, he saw something in me. Yes. And it was a video with a convertible and a buffalo. And I immediately go online. I'm like, surely this is trending. Or yeah. maybe it's something that I'm missing right now. And I look, and there is nothing trending. <laughs> 36 views. I, 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 so I've been scouring. It's like my rosebud. It's like, what is this thing that the president saw in me? Does it make you question everything about yourself that oh, you thought you knew? You were like, wait a minute. Yeah, oh, I am the Buffalo type. Yeah. Maybe that's who I am. I mean, I know like President Clinton meant uh, John F. Kennedy. From that moment he took, he was like, I think I can be the kind of person who could lead a country. Yeah. And what I got was a Buffalo in a convertible. And I don't know what that means. It's maybe a YouTube video. Yeah, you're going to go on like a vision quest. <laughs> I think so. I, honestly, it's it's my next few years is to figure out exactly who am I? What yeah. did the president see in me? When Comedy Central asked what you want to do for season two. It's the Buffalo convertible yeah. video search. <laughs> and we're going to get President Clinton. Yeah. It's going to be there. Yeah. I think honestly, it's it's a, it's a weird, maybe, maybe it's more of a Netflix show. I don't know. It's a limited series, but it's definitely me, the president, Secretary Clinton, and the search for the Buffalo video. 36 views. <laughs> yeah. This is like Janine Pirro's nightmare, by the way. So. She is. She is. These liberals, they hang out. They're watching YouTube videos. She's right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're originally from Kalamazoo. Mm -hmm, indeed. What is growing up in Kalamazoo, Michigan like? It is a it's a funny little town. It is a uh, funny little name. It's a funny little name. <laughs> funny big name, actually. It's a big, funny, weird name. Yeah. It's a name that like appears in pop culture, but people don't even take the time to contextualize what it is. There's like a Creedence Clearwater song that references playing his Kalamazoo. Mm -hmm. Like I think that's just a misinterpretation <laughs> of the word kazoo. There's uh, the town motto is yes, there really is a Kalamazoo. Wow. Which is like already defensive about sure. being asked about Kalamazoo. Yeah. It's a town of uh, Derek Jeter went to my high school. And so he, that's a big point of pride. Mm -hmm. Wait, he attended your high He didn't just like show up one day <laughs> yeah. with like a baseball bat being like, yo, where's Jordan Clever? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, every, every, every baseball player came through. A-Rod came through looking for me with a baseball bat. I was, like, I was trouble. Yeah. <laughs> you key their cars Stop, or yeah. something? Yeah. Stop yeah. calling my ex-girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was a mess of it. <laughs> he was he attended the high school right before I so I didn't actually go there. I knew his sister, but he was he's like the Kalamazoo Central point of pride. Yeah. And so everybody in Kalamazoo loves good old Derek Jeter. Are you on the Wikipedia page for like famous people from Kalamazoo? I, I'm not high enough on it, I don't oh. think. I believe I, I believe I am the ranking? I will say <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, call up Anthony DeRosa, have him <laughs> have him edit you yeah, up. Yeah. Put me up there for God's sake. I there is a sign at the Kalamazoo airport, which is a small airport. That says, like, welcome to Kalamazoo, home of, and it's got, like, eight people on it. It's got the mayor, it's got Derek Jeter, it does not have me on oh, it. Oh, and it's a little insulting. That's I a real bummer, it. yeah. It's a bummer. I would not go home. I, d I tried not to go <laughs> yeah. home. My entire family is there. So. Well, how, how big is your family? I got uh, I got a brother, I got a sister, I got a couple parents, and yep. it goes on from there. Oh, all right. So uh, you spent your whole life growing up there? I did. I uh, born and raised, went to college there, and then leave college uh, with a dream 
of doing improv comedy in Chicago. And so, so what did you major in? I majored in math because uh, Nope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was a math I got a, I was a nerd, so I got a scholarship to go to college for free if I did math. Just math. Just math. It was I, I had to study math or science to get this free scholarship. <laughs> what college did you go to? <laughs> Kalamazoo College. Okay. The most Kalamazoo of college. So you can major in things like high school classes. Like I took math. <laughs> it was it was math. <laughs> and it's a small liberal arts college of about like fourteen hundred. Wow. And so Oh, it was thirteenth grade. <laughs> it was it was essentially thirteenth grade. It's this weird hippie it was a great college. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very small, hippy dippy. The math majors, I think there were eight of us when we graduated, and I double majored in theater, which was like 12 of us. So it was it was a small pond, a lovely pond, but I kind of, I think I needed the small pond vibe. Well, did you ever seriously consider leaving Kalamazoo? I did. In Basically, you grow up in Michigan, you're either a Michigan fan or a Michigan State fan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My family, I was uh, going to be, I was, if they had won the Rose Bowl, I would have been named after Michigan's coach, Bo Schembechler. Wow. Like, we are dyed-in-the-wool, maize and blue yeah. crew. Yeah, And so I was going to go to Michigan, basically, my whole life. Sure, you were destined to. I was destined to go to Michigan. Yeah. Just like destiny, I went to Kalamazoo. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they basically paid for my college. I was like, I'll go to the free one. And then I sort of lived in the Kalamazoo bubble for a few more years and then kind of broke out. All my friends went to Michigan. So I spent weekends at Michigan yeah. and school at Kalamazoo. And then, and then Chicago was sort of my big leap. Yeah. Well, that is like where everyone goes in the Midwest, right? Chicago is it. Yeah. Basically, your, your big dream is you could go to Detroit, but Chicago is sort of where everything was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in the comedy world, that's kind of, that was a mecca at yeah. the time. But what about the math world? <laughs> yeah. The math world, boy. Well, this, when you're in the math world, they sit you down when you're a junior. And actually, the assumption, at that point I knew, I was like, I'm doing math for the free college. I'm not going into this. It's tough. It's weird. And they sit you down. They're like, everybody thinks there's only one job in math. You're going to be a math teacher and perpetuate this myth. That's not true. Derek there's, Jeter was a math <laughs> yeah. major. Derek Jeter. He, he does it. Oh, those eight guys at the airport when you come in there, all math majors. And they're Kalamazoo heroes. <laughs> They're like, there's not just one job. There's two jobs in that. Add it up. Add yeah. it up. One, teacher. Two, actuarial scientist. And they bring in actuarial scientists, which job is to figure out how long people are going to live and then work with insurance companies to to figure out how much you want to invest in people based on their life expectancy. And they're like, see, you wow, can be an yeah. actuarial scientist. Look at all the women lining up. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this guy can figure out when you're going to die. Huh? <laughs> Yeah, but the theater part. Yeah, but the theater part. It's like there's a lot of money in yeah. theater. Mm-hmm. There's there's so many so many opportunities. So yeah, so theater then sends you to Chicago to do free uh, improv. What did years. your parents think when you had that double major? I mean, my parents. God bless my parents. Super supportive through and through. They liked the theater part of it all. Yeah, I think my parents kind of. I grew up. Parents, grandparents at every event, every baseball game, every I was mock trial kid in high school. I mean, wow. it was really cool. I'm painting the picture. Yeah, 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 yeah. Audience yeah. of like the coolest guy. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You're like the math major painting a picture. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Which they're very much known for. Uh, <laughs> they were they 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 love showing up. They would show up to my improv, uh, my first improv shows in a basement theater with a hundred. Uh, Hundred people packed in there. I would wear my Wu Tang shirts because I thought I was a cool, edgy kid. Yep. Yeah, like, yep. improv guy with Wu Tang shirts. Sure, my lucky Wu. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and my parents are like the one group of parents who are actually there with a bunch of drunk college kids, but they <laughs> loved it, and they they continue. They would drive to Chicago, go to improv shows. Wow. Yeah, I got I got I got parents of the year, so I, I luck out with that. That's what cool. was your improv group's name? First one, Munkapult. 
is it? Sure. Yeah. Should we ask why? Just, just listen to the thunderous applause. <laughs> oh yeah, across, across the country. <laughs> Monkabalt is what I was told. The original name of Kalamazoo. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's Algonquin for, uh, for life of doing free comedy. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a picture of a monk being catapulted, and hence the name Monkapult. Uh huh. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was in Socrates Socks, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. was a, a clever name. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I, my, in Chicago, I was in Penultimate. Uh, and then I was in a group called Cougars. I mean, you have a lot. I think the the most the, the best improv team. My my, I was in American Dream. I think we find Sam and Diane was my favorite pun. By the time I got old and in New York, uh, it was a Sam and Diane pun. Yeah. Then it was putting a fish name in there. It's great. And it was a bunch of people who had done improv for long enough that we hated team names. So like, <laughs> we could be like, fuck it. We'll do an ironic team name. Sam and Diane. And you Everybody went like make, full on in. Yeah, yeah. We're going to go in. We're going to make a Cheers reference <laughs> that nobody's going to understand unless they're as old as we are. Yeah. What go, year is this? This was, this was yeah. six 92. years ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Way past the years Sam and Diane. I would say that. Did you, Sam and Diane never die. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you do improv in college? I did. I like that was I you know, I I, I entered college not knowing what the hell I was gonna do. I watched Whose Line Is it Anyway. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh loved that. Love Ryan Styles. Yeah. And yeah. hated Colin Mockery. <laughs> Fuck mockery, man. He's making a mockery of the work that uh, Styles is doing there. The big lanky guy. Oh, mockery is cleverness. Proops comes in here. I just got retweeted by Greg Proops this week. Guys. Congratulations. That's no very big, awesome. No big deal. Things to frame. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been yeah. trying to figure it out. Yeah. Uh, but I loved it. So by the time I got into college, there was an improv group. It said, go audition. I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll try improv and and took to it immediately. Were you outgoing? I, I, was, I, I was a nerd, but I was like... I was like the funny guy in math class. Yeah. Which, low bar. Low yeah, bar. Yeah. It was a very low bar. Because like, I went to a nerd high school half the day, and I went to a regular high school the other half. And so for the nerd one, I'm like the funny guy at the nerd school. How do you explain that to your friends, by the way? The being the funny one at a... Uh, no, like no, going like, to school hey, half the like, day. And... I'm, I got to go to my... Yeah. My smart, what yeah. they called the nerd or, farm, or yeah. the other way, like I got to go to dumb school now. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah, wait, was it remedial? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, was, it was. There's a thing called the Math and Science Center in Kalamazoo, and for half the day, the nerdy kids from local high schools go and teach, learn special math and special science. Like, like, like I said, like smart guy, sm- smart guy, like yeah. special yeah. up, not special. Yeah, math. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I would go to special <laughs> up classes, and then on the other day, you go to the dumb kids' school, the Derek Jeter way. You know. And where was the mock trial class? The Mock trial, mock trial was an after. Oh God, I'm. This is just. This is. Can we talk about the cool stuff? Yeah, I yeah, got? for like sure. All yeah. the models I fucked. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, <laughs> the um, <laughs> the mock trial was a group that I did after school at the the dumb school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they had a mock trial team, but a very good mock trial team. Yeah. They won state championships. I won the national championships in mock trial. No big deal. Wait, that is a big deal. That is. It's a very big. Yeah. deal. Wait, did you do? I read a book about mock trial. Um, really? Or like debate club or something? Yeah. I guess that's different. Never mind. There's a special it. name for it. Mock trial and debate club are like brothers from a different mother. Mm-hmm. Forensics, yeah. right? Isn't it called forensics? It's it's in that world, okay. but it's its own thing. Like for I think forensics and debate, they're, they're all clubs. They're yeah. all clubs. <laughs> yeah. They're essentially yeah. clubs. And mock trial is very specific in that it's you put on a trial. Mm-hmm. You have attorneys and people pretend to be witnesses, and you go up against other schools, and they have attorneys and witnesses, and you call them, and then actual judges and attorneys judge you on how well you put up that trial. It's very strange. I, honestly, looking back on it, it kind of blows my mind. You, you spend. We work very. You know, it's it's like any other sport. 
like every night you're you're working after hours. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop you there. It's not like every other story. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean let me yeah. get to it. It's like every other story. You you meet with attorneys every yeah. day after school. <laughs> Derek Jeter understands. Yeah, yeah, Derek Jeter. We all did the same thing. <laughs> we were all doing horse tranquilizers. I don't know. Yeah. It was like a lot of sports. <laughs> this is very very sport based. You dressed up in suits. We dressed up in suits. We you were an attorney. I was an I was a witness. Oh. So I what happened? I pretended to be. Well, I think I didn't. Or what allegedly yeah, happened? Yeah, exactly. Excuse me. I mean, there you go. Yeah. See, now yeah. you would have been great at it. <laughs> yeah. you, know? you really would have gotten a varsity coat for that, <laughs> which we had the option of getting, but you, you don't. I got it for tennis. I was a cool kid. I, I knew what I was doing. <laughs> now that is a sport. Now that's a real cool sport. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, was, I played third double in the tennis team. <laughs> yeah, so no big. You could have been in Vampire Weekend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really, I was. I was ahead of the curve. <laughs> But I uh, mock trial, you basically wear a suit, you pretend to be somebody else. I pretended to be like, I remember pretending to be a police officer who was like 50 or 60 on the stand talking about how he pulled over a kid and could tell that he was smoking marijuana because of the smell on his fingers. And at that point, I hadn't smoked weed, but I was meeting with an actual attorney who was 20 years my senior after hours having to explain to me what marijuana smelled like (laughs) so I could pretend to be a cop talking about marijuana that I found on a kid who would have been my age at the time. This (laughs) is the cool part you were talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We just got to it. That was it. That was us just living in the cool part. Confetti starts raining yeah. down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm that cool kid, just like Derek Jeter. And for some reason, I'm not at the Calico Airport. I don't get it. You, you won nationals for that. Won nationals, 97. How did you up. celebrate? <laughs> like with my parents. Yeah, think, yeah, yeah. In the end, you're in Pittsburgh winning uh, Oh, beautiful Pittsburgh. <laughs> Love Pittsburgh. At the convention center? Yeah. I think, I think or, or the local courthouse, I believe. <laughs> courthouse in Pittsburgh with your parents. And other teams. Did you look at it as acting or did you look at it like it was its, oh, its own thing? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think in retrospect, yes. Mm-hmm. I because I, I left high school thinking I'd be an attorney, but I look back, I was like, oh, I like the acting part of it all. It was performative, and I, I think that was it, it. It was also it was oddly successful for Kalamazoo. They had won states, and so there was a weird prestige. So I think I felt remarkably like, oh yeah, this is prestigious, and it's like. It's lawyery, so I bet I'll be an attorney. And then I quickly realized I didn't want to be an attorney or do any of that. Yeah. Uh, and looking back on it, it feels kind of insane. But it, the funny part, too, like it's such a bubble that was my life for two years when I did it. It was also my family's life because they would come to all these events. And then, you know, I get flash forward 15 years, I get married and bring people I've met from the 20 years in, since then who know nothing of this. And like my parents gave speeches and they spoke very highly and specifically about mock trial <laughs> because they were along for that part of my life, like in such a loving way. But yeah. It was like that national championship was a big deal to my parents and we shared that and we talked about it. And so, and since then I did comedy, I did TV, I did many other things, but like they were there for that. And then at my wedding, as they talk about all of these moments, like mock trial came up again and that's so many people who had no idea. We're just like, what are you, what is this thing? Like your wife. Yeah. Like my wife. She's like, oh my God, are you fucking kidding me? Uh, who was your witness? Who was my witness? Well, yeah. I was the, I was the witness. Well, no, no your for wedding. your wedding. Oh, yeah. my, my yeah. wedding witness. Ooh, good. Ooh, son yeah. turned a friend. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and my, my good friend, Russ, I believe, was my witness and my, uh, my pastor. Right What's on. his Twitter at? Uh, yeah. Yeah. At, he's Willie Rusty uh, on Twitter. Follow him. He's great. I love him. Yeah. Um, were you so good as a witness during mock trial that you actually would call into real crimes 
and say, <laughs> and just for the role. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think I could have been. Yeah. To, to like, I, I hang around courts and just say, like, if you need somebody on that stand, you know, I'm really good with all the words. I know where to where to skirt the line. Yeah. Have uh, you, somebody who says, I'm really good with all the words. <laughs> have you been back to court since then? Like a real court? Like real trial? Oh, well, I mean, you did get arrested. I got arrested. Yeah. I didn't go to court for that. I've, I've been to court for a friend of mine was up uh yes uh, for a yeah. sad story my oh. friend of mine was prosecuted and i went to court for that so that Whoa. was not fun yeah i went to court a couple times because of classes i was taking and there was a murder trial this this is gonna go this is all dirty. Court, sad stuff tends to happen in court <laughs> yeah. not, not just fun performance <laughs> court is a place where lives are changed yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you flip it with friends and you get a state championship and you're on top of the world and suddenly you look back on this and people's lives they're, they're thrown away in the blink of an eye that was the realization you had i'm like i don't want to be an attorney and deal with like horrible stuff words have consequence put me in a basement with a wu-tang shirt so i can throw these things around willy-nilly <laughs> So you weren't going to be an attorney. I was not going to be an You're attorney. You're like, I'll get into theater, mm-hmm. and I'll have this math degree just as a backup. This, this math thing, it'll, it'll pay for college. Maybe it's something I could go into, but pretty quickly was like, no, I'm not going to go into this. Because you also realize... I was smart, and I was good at math, but there's like next-level math. And when you're a major... Being smart and good at math gets you to the first level. The yeah. next level is like you see it, right? And you, it's like the Matrix, and it's clear, it's yeah. beautiful mind shit. That was not you. That was not me. Okay, like I could, I could bust my ass, and I could get to that like B plus range where it's like, oh, you did it, you kind of get it. But there's a next level. Where you're like, I, I don't understand this. <laughs> yeah, there was, you know, it's it's funny. I feel like everybody says that. I feel like everyone's like, I was great in high school, and then I got to college, and it was like, oh, there's people better than me. Yeah. Who are those better people and why have we not met them yet? Is, is, the, is the real question. Like, are you trying to get somebody else on the podcast? No, I, <laughs> yeah, how many mathematicians do you guys get on the podcast? You know what? You are the best of the mathematicians we've is that, had. This yes. is the problem. You, yes. you guys are like the high school of podcasts. <laughs> By the way, not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> okay, all right. Let's just understand the yeah. situation. Great. Yeah. Now we can move forward and be proud of where we're at. So we call ourselves your third favorite podcast, right? Because do, do you remember when like Leno and Letterman were going at each other and uh, Leno had, um, what's his name on after he had the affair? Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant. Mm-hmm. And uh, then he vaulted into number one and Letterman was perennially number two, right? So Letterman bought into that, got a billboard in Times Square where he was, you know, giving a thumbs up or putting a peace sign or something like that and saying like, we're number two. And it was really proud. So I was like, that's dope. And we're going to be your third favorite podcast. We won't be this one or that one. But the problem comes in where people start fucking like listing their, they're like, oh yeah, like, you know, Joe Budden is number one. Uh, Drink Champs is number two. Yeah, you guys are my third This makes favorite. sense. We're like, and we're just like, no. Assholes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a funny bit. Like, yeah. It's endearing don't myself take it to you guys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Don't put logic into it. <laughs> this should leapfrog number two. <laughs> so by the time you came to graduation at college, you knew you were going to Chicago. Mm-hmm. There was no chance you were moving to Los Angeles or New York. It was, it, you know, part of it, it was the easiest jump. I think there, there's still a little bit of fear. Kalamazoo College threw me to, uh, did some foreign study in London, which I think kind of broke the fear bubble of yeah. like, can I get outside of this town? And you're like, yeah, big towns are fun. Yeah. Chicago is easy. You spend a little, like there, there's an improv scene that I kind of yep. got to know a little bit at the my final couple of years in college. We'd go to Chicago, see the second city, you'd see Improv Olympic, you'd be like, oh, I get what this scene is. Benefits from, it also can be a trap, but there's a little bit of a path when you get into the the world of improv comedy of like, I can take a class. Yeah. If I want to show up in a month, I can take level one class, start going down this path, and whatever that path leads, at least is leading towards a career in 
theater or comedy. And so Chicago was easy to be like, all right, I'll, I'll move there. I'll take a class. I'll, I started substitute teaching to pay the bills. And Math. Then, uh, whatever, basically. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, so I, I kind of yeah. went to Chicago Public Schools and was like, I can be a substitute teacher. And they're like, great, you can start tomorrow. And that actually, tomorrow was uh, September 10th. 2001 whoa and then the second day became september 11 2001 and so that was like a crazy way to sort of start your yeah. adulthood did you have to like be the adult in the room being like hey like you know this is crazy for all of us uh, yes i think like and that was it was my second day of work because i think i moved to start my post-college career in september and yeah i went to a, a school in chicago and basically got put into a classroom and all this shit was going down uh when I arrived at the school, I remember watching it with, uh, I think it was the gym teacher, because I, I didn't have to teach that first period. As it was happening, we were watching another room just silently, like, oh my God. And then I had to bounce around from class to class, and everything was kind of in the air. Like, people were mostly watching it in some classes. Yeah. Some people were turning it off, and teachers were like, you have to watch this, and the kids want to ask, ask you questions and or keep it off and try to move on with other stuff. But it was a very surreal day. Also, you're not like... A teacher there. You're a substitute I'm teacher, a substitute. so you're around strangers. A hundred percent. Like I'm, the adults are strangers, and they're just like, you're a guy who's now in a position of you have to be in charge. So see if you can help these kids on a weird day like today. And I'm bouncing around, like, what's going on? Yeah. So like, I remember out the window is the Sears Tower, and at that time, like, the Sears Tower was a target. Yeah. And you're like, is 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 that gonna fall today as well? It was a very strange. Day. So you spent the full day in school. Full day in school that day. Wow. Yeah. Did so, you go back the next day? I I ended up going back to that school for almost a year. Oh wow. Yeah, it's one of those. If you're a, a decent substitute and like are nice to the kids and can shepherd them through 9/11, they're like you can come back for a couple days. Well, also, Man. I mean, one of the teachers has to be like violently sick yes yeah. Yes, yeah. Yes, yes yes also if you poison the water and make sure there's a situation where teachers can never uh, create a, a healthy environment then you can come back so yeah. so you're there you're there from like whatever it is like seven o'clock in the morning to three o'clock and mm -hmm. then you take improv classes at night yeah and basically th that lifestyle is you take improv classes if, if you're if you're going all in you take them at the second city and at improv olympic and and then you go to as many shows as you can. So it's not cheating on one or the other to do both? At the time, no. Okay. And I think like most people would do as many as they could. Because Second City was sort of the uh, more corporate, big structure that kind of led you towards... A lot of the biggies went there, but are also teaching you sketch comedy in the end. Mm -hmm. Improv Olympic is like the playhouse and like where the cool kids hang out. And so you would... I went to both places, but I would hang out at Improv Olympic at night. And that's where you smoke cigarettes, smoke cigarettes <laughs> you drink beer, you talk to performers, you hit on girls, show them your math tricks. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a pretty cool place to be. Well, I mean, did any part of you feel like, why do I have to do these classes? Like, am I, am I funny outside of this thing? I think I, I, you know, I was fairly humble and or insecure. Like, I, I felt, I mean, confident enough to be there and like, I think I could be all right with this, but very much felt comfort within like, there's a, there's a structure. I will take these classes. I will audition for these things and you could be on these teams. Then you can now perform on this night and you try to move up to those nights. And so almost each arena that I hopped into, I would say, even in college, I hopped in and was like, 
if I could be on that uh, improv team in four years, I'll audition, I'll audition, and I can do it. And I lucked out and I got to be on it right away. But it was like, oh, I see that thing, let me work on it. Same thing when I got to Chicago, it was like, if I could be on the Monday night all-star show, I'll, uh, that would make me happy for my life. And you know, you do it for a few years and eventually you get that opportunity and it's like, great, what's that next thing? But I always felt more comfort in knowing like, uh, there's a slight, there's a path there and then trying to go as fast as you can on that path. Yeah. When did you feel like you made it over that hump, that first hump? I think, uh, you know, th there's a bunch of little ones. Chicago has, I think the, le the legitimacy comes in Chicago when you get paid and you get paid usually through the second, because I taught and it felt, feels nice to teach and give a position of power and then you get put on fun teams. You feel good about that. But uh, there's basically, at the time, there's like 5,000 people trying to audition for essentially what end up being like 20 some odd paid positions at Second City. Right. Wow. And you do that through like a touring company. Yep. And so I audition, I audition, and each year they welcome in anywhere from like one to like eight people to be parts of that company. And then you go out and you tour, you do comedy, you get paid. And so that was sort of the dream. And I, I finally got that, I don't know, I might have been 25, 26. Uh, but it felt like, holy shit, this was the thing that Everybody wants super hard. You see people get it. You see people's hearts break because they don't get it. And now I have it. I can I can quit my other jobs. I can do this full time with very little money. But it was like, I'm going to be on the road. I'm going to travel. I'm Where'd gonna make you go? Comedy. Everywhere. Like you're, you're mostly small town USA for big trips. Big Kalamazoo? Trips. I didn't do I, I didn't do Kalamazoo for for Second City. Okay. But I did. Imagine every other town with a name like Kalamazoo. <laughs> yeah. That's primarily where I am. Yeah. Yeah. And you do, do some international stuff. We went to Vienna for two weeks. Wow. Which was a blast. And then, like, you end up going on a boat. Wait, and do I, people in Vienna get, you know, your, your goofy comedy? They, there was a theater called the English Theater. So we did a, we did a show in English. Uh, the King's English. The King's English. <laughs> so bad accents. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was fascinating because you, you do... A broad comedy for them over there. They love pol political stuff, but Second City kind of traffics in more broad comedy at that time uh, and very physical stuff. So we basically mm -hmm. put on a th things that weren't a lot of wordplay, things that weren't overly clever, things that were very physical, very big, um, and musical. So you kind of would, would tweak it for that kind of an audience. And I did stuff on a, uh, a touring ship, a Norwegian, the Norwegian Dawn, and that's almost a similar type thing. Like, How are you on uh, water? Not as funny. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, everything is not as funny on water. Like, it's, everybody's trapped in a weird. I mean, those that is the weirdest gig there is. Yeah, I bet. Oh my god, they're huge theaters, like a thousand seat theaters. Every night they have like a Cirque du Soleil show one night. They have a comedy show one night. They have a giant magic show one night. They have a dance show one night. Do you hang out with all those performers? You do, and you're like, we're not the same. Oh well, I mean that that's the. So that Second City kind of had a contract for years with that, and that's that was great money, soul sucking work, and everybody goes out there. They kind of go crazy on a, <laughs> on a ship, and everybody comes back with a half written pilot. They're, I'm sure they're gonna sell about life on a ship. <laughs> Everybody's got the ship life because it, it's a weird life. You're, you're like you're spending all of this time going crazy, hanging out with like hanging out with magicians who have been there for decades, hanging out with dancers who are like 20 and are like just getting into their body. Yeah. They're, they're away from home for the first time. Oh, so yeah. there's just crazy sex happening all the time. Magicians who are like way beyond that. And they're like <laughs> 50 and they've been on a boat for too long. And they're like, <laughs> like there's a magician who's... I haven't who's seen assisted. land in 30 years. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
They don't know what it's like to be on land. They're like cheating on their assistant who has been their assistant for years uh-huh. uh, with, with one of the new dancers. And like that's drama unto itself. And then you're drinking with them and they're just like, I just want to do sleight of hand. Yeah. It's like, oh, sleight of hand is like a euphemism. <laughs> it's like, yeah, what do you mean? Oh, you do mean sleight of hand. Oh, that's what you care about. You hate this big showy stuff. And you're talking like drunkenly like, I don't want to do short form. I just want to do long form, man. I'm doing all this short form comedy. I just want to do stuff that's more about the art. And like, you're like, what is my life? Uh, so you do that for a while. You go crazy. Then you come back and you, you try to figure it out. Oh, by the way, uh, our podcast is sponsored by Norwegian yeah. Cruise Line. Shout- Best sleight of hand there is. And I would say lowest, lowest death count on a Norwegian ship. Oh, good. Oh, dope. Wonderful. Yeah, great. Yeah. The chance of somebody good dying. News. And I, like, it's probably 20% each tour, which, so, is, which is pretty good. That's, for the, that's the great. Seas. That's like when we went to Bonnaroo and we landed there and, and it was the park was empty and they gave us a tour around the grounds and everything. And they were just like, five people die on the first day every year. And we're just like, why and why are you sharing this? That's frightening. Yeah, yeah. welcome to Bonnaroo. So yeah, look to your left, look to your right. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The boat is like if you see a helicopter, it means an older person has passed. And so that's like occasionally you'd see a helicopter. You're like, what's going on? And you're like, oh, somebody, somebody died on the cruise. Oh my mm-hmm. god. That's like when on the subway they're just like, oh, some there's a sick passenger. Yeah, exactly. Oh. It's like that's not a sick passenger. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it, it's a helicopter. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they were sick. <laughs> There's one less taxpayer to help fix the subway. Yeah. So when you come back uh, to uh, real solid ground again, you are where? Back in Chicago? At that point, I'm back in Chicago trying to figure stuff out. Well, like, who else was in, like, what what famous people had you seen, like... Name? Yeah, who, who, like, who are the cooler people? Well, Jeter. I'm, I'm just trying <laughs> yeah, to say, yeah. like, you know... So my, so my era... So I came in, and, like, Rachel Dratch was the one who just got picked up from, like... SNL as I'm like a kid coming in and so it's really interesting so I see like Rachel Dratch like oh wow SNL can can change people's lives and what have you and and that's the funniest person on the stage I see how that happens when I was there like Keegan-Michael Key was my coach and he came in from Detroit and you watch him start to blossom and then he goes to Mad TV I believe at the Mm -hmm. time um uh and then we started to have a lot of like you know they're the people like the John Lutzes was around, and then uh, my era was Pat O'Brien goes to SNL. Um, uh, some writers, Katie Rich, Paul Britton, were folks. Uh, By the way, I thought that Pat O'Brien was the Entertainment Tonight guy. <laughs> it, but another one. <laughs> oh yeah, Pat O'Brien became Mike O'Brien. Right, correct. Who then goes on to SNL for a little while. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the Detroiters guys were around my time as well. Uh, Tim Robinson, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sam Richardson, who were Detroit guys, came to Chicago as I was in Chicago, and then I started to leave Chicago. Um, and then it was like people as I was leaving, like uh, AD, AD Bryant. Mm-hmm. Yep. Connor O'Malley, yeah. if you know Connor. Yeah. Like, so Connor, I taught when I when he was in high school. And I was teaching high school improv. Whoa. So oh, substitute. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I substituted everything. <laughs> so it's funny to see all those like Chicago folks. You kind of all get put in this fun little sludge and start to 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 move on. And for me, like I I loved Chicago, but you hit a wall and yep. you either get on a stage or you don't get on a stage. You get grumpy about it, and you start to hate it, and you feel like you're owed something, and those theaters aren't good at like paying you back, especially Second City. Improv Olympic always starts to feel like a clubhouse, which mm-hmm. is nice. Second City is sort of a corporation, and you either like you get it, and then there's a point where you're like, well, we're no longer paying you, and everybody's like, well, fuck you. You yeah. pay, didn't pay me very well. Yeah. You know, that's sort of the, the deal. You're like, I've seen the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for God's <laughs> sakes. You know how many people died on a boat <laughs> that I watched happen? 
so so if you saw the, if you saw the wall, like what was beyond that? And by the way, were your goals like just straightforward? Were you like, I'm gonna get on SNL? I'm going to get on another network? I'm going to do something? You know, that's that's I can see it. Yeah, I think like when you're there, SNL is like the only thing you've seen happen, and there is a path. It's such a small path, and at that point, like honestly, this is this is ten years ago when I left Chicago, and it's different now. Like I don't with web videos yeah sure such an old man but like (laughs) at the time when i was there snl would come through once a year they'd watch the two shows at second city and maybe one or two people from those stages would get plucked and their lives would change and that was like it and so you would apply for writing packets and maybe somebody would get picked off and you hear little stories of people going to la or what have you but that was about it you would you could get on a theater stage and then lord michaels would maybe say they like you and then that started to slightly shift, and then they started looking at Improv Olympic, and the people started to break outside that mold. Um, people who hadn't gone through the traditional path would suddenly get picked off. And I think, uh, and then you started seeing people jump into LA and New York in a way and find success. And so I kind of hit that wall. SNL came through a couple times. I was like, I don't think, I don't think this is gonna happen. I'm getting less and less interested in doing that specific show. And I, I had a couple opportunities in New York. I like. I started going out there, booked a pilot here, had some connections. And what like, was the pilot? It was it was an MTV show called. I'm blanking on the name, but it was singled a, out. It was singled <laughs> yeah. out. I, I, <laughs> my girlfriend loved it. It was, great. it was a it was the time where they were trying to pitch everything as like a sketch show meets a game show. Oh right? yeah, yeah. And so yeah. I got it was me and actually Moshe Kasher. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. We we both were co-hosts of like an improv game show where you would you. What was it? It was like Times Square. They would have uh, hidden cameras and a clown and a mime would like be doing Times Square shit and then get in a fight and they would <laughs> choreograph a giant fight and then we would pop up and we'd be like, "Hey, that was crazy. Who saw? <laughs> you want to make some money?" <laughs> and then you'd ask people questions about uh, the money they made or the things they saw. <laughs> so it was like sketches slash pranks and then it was like, "Hey, I got fifty bucks. Did anybody see that clown punch somebody?" Jesus. <laughs> We did that. And, uh, <laughs> How did this not get picked up? I know. Yeah, they were like, a huge series order. <laughs> it was, and that's, it was like, listen, it's the, different looking back, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, when you're like, in it. <laughs> yeah. Like, Maybe I'm not explaining it right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's the, as you signed the contract, they're like, the contract is for the next 10 years of your life. It was supposed to be like four nights a week. Oh. It was insane. I was like, I guess I'm going to be the host of this one show. And then you do it and it doesn't happen. <laughs> I'm like, ah, I'll move to New York anyway. Uh, was it Moshe's fault? Yeah, he was mm-hmm. just he he you know, he didn't bring the energy. He yeah, the energy. was he the Elmo? <laughs> yeah, he, 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 he brought it all down. I gotta tell you, it was a hundred. It was it was a home run idea. We <laughs> could not miss. I mean, they were actually looking, but there were fun people in there. Kurt Braunhaller, if you know him, uh, was a part of it as well. Like it, it was it was good people, but it was exactly what MTV did. And actually, I kind of got in that world. For years, weird small little shows. Yep. funny people in New York being like, "Hey, here's a here's a funny show." It's like it's, you're so good at sketch. This is kind of a sketch show. <laughs> right. You have to sort of do a sketch with a homeless person, but it's great. But you're, <laughs> yeah. but, you're like, don't worry about that part. Yeah, don't worry yeah, about yeah, that yeah. part. And here's sort of a sketch thing. You're gonna be naked. And it's, it's less of a sketch, but can you just yeah. do that? For, it's for MTV too, so it's at least exposure. <laughs> right. It's like that is sort of the run. For, indecent exposure is, indecent is what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it ran for four seasons. <laughs> Non-union work, but but at least you're on. Television. Did they call you in for like talking head stuff? 
not really. I did a show called Bunk on IFC, which Kurt Braunholler hosted, and like some of the guys from the state, like Tom Lennon, people would come on, and it was a, it was a. I want to say it wasn't an improvised game show, but it was. So it, was it was. It was like the things didn't matter, and they would put something up, and you have to improvise weird jokes off of it. Mm-hmm. And that ran for like two seasons on IFC, and and it's like it was. It was always in that. Then I then I I sold a thing for Comedy Central. I hustled on a couple shows. I wrote for like a reality show, and then I worked with uh, Charlemagne the God for yep. a couple seasons. Uh, Where was that? So that was. I did a thing with MTV. Two and then uh, Charlemagne had a show on MTV. He had like MTV six shows. Yeah, yeah, six yeah. shows. Yeah, I worked on I think two of them. Yeah, uh, which was like what started out was going to be kind of a sketch show, and so we wrote sketches, and then we kind of prepped what was essentially became a talk show, and then talk show games, and then kind of weekly stuff, and that began to morph to more of just a talk show type thing, which was weird and strange. <laughs> yeah. um, but you kind of just become a journeyman in town, like basically the guy that I ended up who cast me in that thing, you know, eight years earlier in New York ends up like being a producer on 10 other things. And like, we sell a thing to Comedy Central that doesn't go, but then he's like, I have a reality show. Do you want to write reality TV for a while? I was like, all right. So I spent six months writing reality TV. And he's like, now I'm doing a thing over on MTV2. It's with Charlemagne. We can write some sketches, do that. And he's also doing another show at MTV2 that's called Off the Bat, which was like a baseball comedy show. Fat Joe, maybe? Yes. Maybe? Maybe not. It was with was it with Fat? It was with Fat Joe and Sway. Yes, yes Fat, okay. Fat Joe and Sway. I, yeah. I didn't get to work with them. My writing partner Russ Armstrong. I got the Daily Show and then I left. And then he worked with Sway on that. Yeah. Um, and they're fun. I mean, they're fun and weird shows. But like, yeah. you suddenly get in the world. It's what Chicago didn't have any of, and what I think LA has a ton of. But New York has a little bit where you're like, if you can hustle and you work hard, you can write on like a bunch of weird totally. fun things. Today's episode of A Waste Time with It's The Real is sponsored by Let Me Hear a Rhyme, the new book from award-winning author Tiffany D. Jackson. Shout out to Malik16 for providing new original lyrics. Jeff, this is the perfect book for the summertime. This is the perfect book for us because it's Brooklyn 1998. It deals with the rap industry. It's funny. It's clever. It's authentic. And it's written so well that I'm turning the pages as we speak. It is the tale of three friends who, not in a weekend of Bernie's way, mm-hmm. but take their deceased friend and make him into a rap star. It's super dope. I'm loving it. Yeah, I mean, well, I'll say this. It is so 1998, not just because of the mentions of, like, Jay-Z and Capone Noriega and Lady of Rage and Next and Method Man and SWV, yeah. all these things. The source. But it's, it's also so 1998 that they say Dagio. That is the most 1998. They say keep it on the Lolo. This is not pandering. This is not written by somebody who doesn't understand the culture. It has vibrant storytelling and captivating twists that make you go, Dag, yo. Dag, yo. Let Me Hear Rhyme is a love letter to Brooklyn and 90s hip-hop. This is sponsored by Epic Reads. Shout out to everyone over there. Shout out to Tiffany D. Jackson. Malik16, the name of the book once more is Let Me Hear Rhyme. It is perfect for all your summertime reading. Go get that now wherever books or audiobooks are sold. And now back to Jordan Klepper. So when you were writing reality, yeah. I mean, I think at that point you probably knew that like reality wasn't reality, mm-hmm. but what did you really find out from that whole process? I mean, it was, I worked at a show, uh, I think I should talk openly about it, it got killed. It was supposed to be the big show that was going to go on after, um, what, what's, what, the, it was the giant redneck guys in the bayou show. 
Swap. Oh, Duck Dynasty? Duck Dynasty. So <laughs> Big fan. Big fan. <laughs> yeah. Duck Dynasty was like the biggest show in like yeah. the fucking world. Yeah. yeah. And they were, uh, I think that was an AMC show. They greenlit another show that they were calling Indiana Joes, which was <laughs> about guys in the middle of Indiana uh, who won uh, a million dollar contract for Doritos commercials for the Super Bowl because they made hometown um, advertisements. Uh, and, and so they were like, we don't need to go to Hollywood to make be an advertising agency. We do it from this small town in Indiana. Right. And so it was perfect for AMC because they're like, oh, this is great. This is like Hollywood guys, but small town. They're a, a group of brothers. They all live in Indiana. It's an easy sell. This what a, what a world you yeah, created. Yeah. I do believe yeah. I'm so in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And so they're like, let's do this. And they start, we start talking to the guys. And like, basically, you, you sell this show. And they're like, all right, we're going to do it. These guys were a little prima donnas. Um, they were like... The Joes? The Indiana Joes? The Indiana Joes were like, we don't need your big city yeah. comedy or all this Yeah, that's their stuff. whole MO. That's yeah. why you're making the show. <laughs> yeah, you're you're like, like, guess like, what? I'm from Kalamazoo. And they're like, exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, you, you coastal elite. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, all you, all you folks right around Lake Erie. Uh. <laughs> so, so, like, what is fascinating about it is you're breaking stories. And, like, it was me and my buddy were interviewing them. And basically, like, they come at it like, we're funny, we're cool, we're great. AMC thinks we're awesome. We'll just be funny and great and make a TV show. Screw you guys. The production company's like, that's not how TV works. We need to go down there with a schedule and have like storylines and arcs. And I'm also just figuring this out at the time. I'm like, I don't know how reality TV works, but okay. Yeah. We're told that we need clear story arcs that a network has to approve before we even film this stuff. So we have to like interview these guys and be like, all right, hey, what what, what do you do during the day? What is this kind of stuff? What have you? And then kind of figure out like, oh, so you're, you got basketball games you guys go to and there's a big basketball game that your daughter's going to? Great. That'll be the arc. We're all going there. And your family has Sunday... Brunches where everybody comes together, great. We'll have a Sunday brunch here. Were you introducing drama into these people's lives? Yes. (laughs) Yes. But you're trying to figure out like places that they go and lives that they, like things they do naturally, the (laughs) rhythms, but then create a structure to it. And then kind of, then you have to spitball it to them and they come back like, we don't need all this. But then you have to spitball it to a network that's like, we need all this. (laughs) And then you go there and you're like, all right, we're going to spend three days with them to not only bond so they trust us but also learn about their lives which at that point is very strange as well because you're essentially just you're interviewing people so that you can use it as material and it, there's just consistent tension some of them were great i don't want to throw them yeah, all under yeah, the bus but, yeah. but but there's a there's a distrust of what hollywood can do and then there's hollywood that wants it to be something that fits in a box and we started to build all of this craft it I get the Daily Show and I don't have to film it, but they go out and they film it for 10 weeks and it's such a nightmare after 10 weeks because because that never got settled. Oh. Like, they were like, we're doing it our way and the network's like, this is a nightmare. It needs to be good <laughs> TV and you guys aren't making it... Te- like, you have to be essentially actors in your own life. Right. And they're like, we're, we don't want to do that. And you created a mess and then left. And yeah. I got the hell out. And 10 <laughs> weeks in, they're like... Out. Do we're you think any of them block. were just like, I'm not vindictive, and you're just like, you are. I think, yeah. Like, yeah, I think like th- there, there, there was a weird element too, and also everybody has drama as they come in. I'm a, I'm a comedian who like moves from the Midwest to New York, who then gets flown back to the Midwest <laughs> to like make guys who never left the Midwest look like heroes for never leaving the Midwest. So I'm like, I can't fucking, I can't fucking handle this. <laughs> so how does the Daily Show come into your life? So the Daily Show, uh, uh basically sees a video I do with my wife 
I'd been kind of on the radar for a bit, but they liked a couple a web series I did and a, uh, a video that we did. John Oliver had left the show, and they they like it. They're looking to replace that, and they call myself and my wife in to uh, send in a tape. Of a, we have to write an audition together and one separate, send in a tape. They liked us both. They were like, can you write a new thing and then come in and uh, audition with John? And we essentially do that. We go in, we audition with John. Uh, having never met him before. Having never met him before. It's crazy. It's it like, it's it's a, at that point in our, our life, my wife's a comedian as well. Super talented. We were collaborators. She was at Second City. She was more successful at Second City than I was. We moved to New York together. She got very close to SNL a few times. And you get close to these things, and it's yeah. heartbreaking. Like, you're, you see your life almost changing, and then it doesn't. And you're, like, back to square one. And so this one came up, and you could feel like, oh, this could be a biggie. And the way it works is if you get called in to see John, you're pretty close. He doesn't see a lot of people. But still, you're like, I've seen it before. Who knows? It was a good fit for me, though, definitely. Like, I'd been close on other things, and I'm like, yeah, Daily Show actually aligns with the things I care about, the type of performer that I am. Which Do you let like, yourself believe that maybe you'll get this? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to, but you're also real afraid of it. Well, also, you're going up against your wife. Yes. and that's, So that's like... It's crazy. And I will say, going into it, there was hope, and perhaps it's naive, that I'm going going up with my wife. Right. There was there was talk of like they had hired Sam B and Jason Jones. Yep. Yep. And like there was talk that maybe that was something that they're looking for. They liked both of us. They liked us together. They wanted us to read together and separately. So I kinda we went in and we're like, this could be the ultimate dream. Like we're both struggling here. You know, if we both got this thing. Holy shit. You were married at the time or not? We, were, we had just gotten married. Like, wow. A few Congratulations. Yeah. So yeah. what's yours is hers and hers is yours. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> and so like we knew that was a big audition. Uh, I think like that one, I will say, I walk into that one and I, a, f a friend of mine, an old coach, Dan Bacadal, was on The Daily Show yep. um, and called him. He had a, he had his ups and downs with The Daily Show, but talked to him a little bit about his experience before going in. And he got good advice. And honestly, he was like, if you've gotten this far, you could get it. So be confident in that way. And I think this would maybe, I didn't auditions for 15 fucking years. That one is one I, I walked in being like, I gotta, I gotta at least play that part of confidence. And so you walk in, you meet the, because a job at The Daily Show is a weird one where you're out in the field, you're meeting different departments. You walk in, the producers from different partners, uh, departments come in and they small talk you for like a half hour because they want to know what you're like. Would you be good in the office? Are, are you, you vindictive? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you an asshole? Yeah. <laughs> are you interested in topics and the news? Let's just chat. How do you, you look against the that. green screen? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they bring you in there and John comes in and uh, he's dressed in John Stewart attire, which he looks like a, a funny homeless guy with like <laughs> shitty jeans and stuff like this. And uh, you jump right in. The fun thing with John is, and I think we're... I benefited is like he he doesn't want to be revered in that moment. He wants to be fucked with. And so you fuck with John. He he gives you shit about being too tall, specifically <laughs> me. I give him shit about, you know, not dressing up and being too short. And you riff. And I think you go right into it. There's not a lot of prep. Like you, there's a prompter. You see it. You do it. Um, he's loose on and off the prompter. Like, so he's, but he's a, he's a stand up. Yes. Not traditionally trained in uh, anything improv, mm -hmm. but he's built this thing. How was he right then and there? He's, I mean, he's great. Yeah. And I think like, he's not listening. You can, yeah, yeah. he's not, yeah. Oh, he, oh yeah. He's not, oh yeah. This is, this is his fourth favorite podcast. <laughs> guy's a nightmare. <laughs> 
He's fun. I mean, the the dynamics between stand up and uh, improv people are real different. I think he likes the improv folks, like the Colberts who came through, the Backadals, the Corrells. Like they're really good in the field and loose. I mm-hmm. think like stand up are kind of uh, you know bedfellows with him, but I think improv people are collaborators. Um, and so, and he's, I think he wants to play, especially at that point, he'd been doing that job for 14 years. And yeah. so like coming in, he doesn't want somebody, he, um, this is projecting, but I, you, you feel it immediately. He's like, I want somebody who can do this. Who's not going to get spooked, who can play around with stuff that works. that doesn't work that like he can cold read something and find a funny joke in a moment. And then if he does it, that I can respond to that. And so like, so it was great. In the end, it, it becomes loose and fun like that. And The Daily Show works at a pace where you ha- you get thrown in and it's like, what do you got? What do you got? What do you got? Can you do this? Can you do this? Oh, we're not going to do that anymore. Go out and do this. And you, it is one take and it's all of that. And so, so when you do that audition, you know, that energy is sort of in the room. Like, can you just go with this? And, and at that moment, it was like, yeah, I was able to play with him, play off of script, give him shit. He could give me shit and play like, enough of a status within the role of what a correspondent is. How much of that was you? I mean, it's, I think it's, it's me. It's a role that fits me well. It's like high status, dumb guy. I can play. I'm different enough from the other people who've done it, but also fit the part. And so like they immediately know how to use me. And so I think like that's, that was something I could see them being like, oh, this guy we can throw in a piece tomorrow. And at that point they needed that. Did you have a real interest in politics that you were just like, this is overtly like a job that I'm, I'm suited for. I, I think I did. I'd, I'd been in some political ish shows. It's, it's a weird roll of the dice to bring somebody on who might not be, I think correspondent and some of them people are brought on who love it and take to it. And some people love the performance part of it and are not overly political. And the show doesn't necessarily ask for that, but it really benefits from it. Um, I think they look a lot at what you write. You know, you have to write a couple pieces yep and they're they're if there's a specific way to write it which you have to i mean i essentially showed up on monday when i got the job and i wrote one of those and you so weren't you, just looking at wikipedia like you're <laughs> yeah you're like i know how to structure what one of these things are i yep. know what this comedic argument is i it's it's a basic sketch premise but i know how to execute i also know what satire is and so it's like here's a here's a smart thing here's how this show can be smart with it so at that point i was i'd, I'd done that with like probably three pieces so I think they're like, okay, this guy can write for these three pieces. He seems smart enough and will go. But then you jump in and I think like, I, I was one who immediately was like, how did other people do this? And you start talking to Jason Jones, Sambi, everybody like this. And you have stories of some correspondents who are like, oh, they were passive and they were working on four projects. And it was like, well, Oliver and Colbert, who those are the other ones who had shows at that time, were like, well, they're the ones who study and pitch and are in every meeting. So it's like, well, I'll just be in every meeting and I'll study and pitch and do that. And so... That show opens itself up to you if you're like, if you give a shit and you want to be a part of it, like they need people to consistently fill that void. Do you like dogs? I like dogs. Okay, so it was a good environment. That's a big thing. I didn't like them as much as I was a little allergic to dogs. And honestly, I was like, there's a lot of fucking dogs here. But then you acted and you acted like you were not allergic. I acted like, I love this. This isn't that all annoying. Right. Uh, Yeah, we're all, dogs are cool. What a fun office. It really is. I had to bite my tongue a little bit with it. I was like, this is You bite your tongue because you're allergic to it. Yeah, I'm like, I'm fucking blowing up. Swelling up. We're all acting like this is a professional thing to do. I think even Trevor came in. And when Trevor comes in, you can even see it. He's like, oh, everybody's really accustomed to the idea that dogs are here. Then people start bringing more dogs 
logs in and I start shitting and you're like, this is not a good, this is not a good office environment. And when I started the opposition, they're like, we can have dogs, right? I'm kind of like, I had to say yes because so many people had come Damn. from that world, but I'm like, but I'm like, I don't know if I support this idea. Like, dog shitting in an office is bad for productivity. So, um, I I really dislike Trump. Like across the board, there's nothing wow. he does. That, I know, I know, brave. I know. Thank, thank you. Strong, you. strong take. Thank you for being. But brave. the one thing that I'm like, you know what? I'll cut him a little slack. Is that he's the first president in a long time to not have a dog mm -hmm. and I'm just like yeah I don't really fuck with dogs like that's fine <laughs> I, I, nothing wrong with that like it doesn't make him like a lesser human because there's no dogs there would you vote for him again hmm. <laughs> <laughs> by the way I love the implication it's just like yeah, yeah I did again, vote for him like, yeah, yeah, like exactly. you did the first time yeah. so yeah. um how do you how do you find out that you get the job so uh my wife gets a call as we're walking home uh, from both of our shared manager, and the manager says that I got it and she did not get it. Uh, hmm. Hmm. So it, it it was uh it was shitty. Yeah, yeah. it was shitty. Yeah, yeah. it was a uh, just real question. Uh, did you share a cell phone? No. Okay. So we were literally. It was his choice. <laughs> it was, yeah. yeah. But it was a. I think the reality of honestly, it was it's a it was a fucking crazy. It it was a crazy few years after all of that, but uh. We kind of leave that audition, both feeling good, optimistic, and like, that was, I think that went great. Uh, who knows what's going to happen? We have a day. Let's go relax, celebrate getting here. And I think they, my agent slash manager called me and I didn't answer and they called my wife. We were literally walking and she answers the phone, gets that news, which was honestly, it was insane news yeah. in both directions. Yeah. And, and to be fair, I think the, the emotion of, not getting it outweighs the emotion of getting it. Mm -hmm. Like it's such a disruptive uh, moment, you know. And, and it was it was a, a very strange moment. So like, both of us unbelievably conflicted of like, oh my god, this is amazing news. Also, you're heartbroken, and she's heartbroken, and also like this is amazing news. And so, the days and weeks just became constantly kind of grappling with with the reality of what this industry is. Yeah, which is like, yeah, in a moment like that, two people, I think equally talented she's probably more so like could it could go either way i think they at that point uh, a white guy left and they were like well this guy could slide right in it could have gone the other way for her but you see like on monday i start work there on monday she goes back to the job that she was doing it's like oh that's kind of the the reality of this yeah and it's heartbreaking and it's random and you're lucky if you get that break and you're you're unlucky if you don't yeah, and I think it's probably kind of tough to take that inside of you and be like, I want to feel bad, but I also want to feel good about my work. Mm -hmm. um, moving forward in there, you're low man on the totem pole, right? Mm -hmm. uh, how do you feel good about your work in that environment? You, you, you hustle to get on. And I think like, uh, you know, that was that that place benefits from having a clear hierarchy <laughs> and one person who everybody's trying to serve. Not that he's tyrannical. John, I thought, was a, a great boss. But by that time, everything ran through John. And so, like, notes he gave or whatever, they were not giant discussions. They were all like, how do we get his vision? And the same thing with field pieces or whatever. It's like, is John happy with this? Does he like this? And so that actually is surprisingly conducive to feeling whether or not you're doing good or not. Mm -hmm. And, like, you know, like, stuff that he was excited about in uh, what we would call chats on the show. Like, you knew when they worked. And if you knew, like you were vibing with people and you kept getting asked back to do them like, oh, you're a part of the team. And for the first few months, you're kind of wondering like, is this going to last? I don't know. And then field pieces, 
you have screenings and you immediately know when a field piece works and when it doesn't. And I remember the first screening I had with John where some stuff didn't work. And it's hard to watch like a rough cut of something that's like not working Yeah, with like John Stewart, a guy you've looked up to for a decade, sitting down next to you, not laughing at what's not working and you all see it. And then he's pretty blunt about what's not working and you know it. And then you get back to work and you're like, fuck, we got to make this thing work. Well, does that ever go away? That feeling of, damn, like, he didn't like it. Does that ever go away? I think the self-doubt never goes away. I think within the within the experience of The Daily Show, what does go away is, like, you get more confident the things you can do. Mm-hmm. I think you, you are consistently trying to please a very specific person yeah. and point of view. And so, like, you at least know what your goal is each time, and you know how to serve that. And I think, like... So that goes away because you understand where what the goal line is. I think where it gets more difficult is when you start doing stuff on your own or that becomes a little less unclear. Then you're imposing that judgmental structure in a way that like that becomes based on social media. That becomes based on little things you heard or consensus. And then it becomes actually a little bit more difficult, I'd say, because you're constantly wondering, like, I feel kind of good about this, but I'm, I'm also judging it because of this, as opposed to, at one point, like, it's a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Did we right. get it over the finish line or do we not? Right. But also, like, in that moment, you can also be like, well, I mean, a lot of this stuff gets fixed through editing and you're just like, okay, well, it's not there yet. And you understand that, like, you know, when he's watching it, you're just like, okay, but, you know, with some finessing. I think, and there's a process, and even with that, I got better at that quickly and understanding yeah. like, oh, I see what a rough cut looks like and I see what it looks like three days later. Yep. Um, and you know what you have in the field and if you are able to bring that there. I mean, sometimes you don't have it in the field and that's where it gets scary. And John yeah. was very clear about that where he was like, I want these things. Get this from these people. And sometimes if you didn't push a person hard enough or confront them with some bullshit that John saw with that person, and that's part of the process is you'd have a meeting with them before going out with, with John, and John would sort of be like, I think these are the things we hit. And they could be quick, but there's stuff that he's like, this person, I think you need to challenge in this way. And if you didn't get that, and he's like, you need to get this, you you know you didn't come back with what you needed. So, okay, so you're that you're that guy who grew up with that Wu-Tang shirt in the basement. Yeah. Um, Wu-Tang, as everyone knows, was RZA running this whole ship, right? So how do you, in that, in that same situation where John is RZA, how do you end up feeling good about being method man Ooh, ooh! wow okay (laughs) (laughs) good i mean as as, you know well how do we know that you're not master killer oh yeah 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 yeah. i know or ghostface who are you i mean who who are you really yeah Yeah, am i yeah (laughs) i i got to be on stage with woo once with them that was my... I'm sorry, what? Yeah. Yeah, yeah you want my woo story? So, um, then, you want to know what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Let's talk about the boat again. <laughs> mock trial. It was an amazing experience. So, yeah. So, as a kid who grew up a giant Wu-Tang fan and, uh, you know, wore the shirt, was going to get the tattoo, uh, you know, as, as many people of our generation, Wu-Tang held a very important part of my life. They came on the show about two months into... Uh, me getting that job and John knew was a big Woo fan and John knew Method Man and all of them from back in the day on MTV and so it was the first time in a while they'd all gotten back together because they were releasing they were releasing a single on our show and an album that was supposed to come out a few months later side note they released a single they performed on the the Daily Show and then at the end of the Daily Show the single I forget what it was comes out midnight tonight that single came out four months later. <laughs> <laughs> 
testament to just how inefficient yeah. the thing is. Was like, they literally set it on the yeah. 11 o'clock show. In 30 minutes, this thing is available. In months. Months. A surprise drop. Yeah, yeah. In August. And so, um, but they're going to come on, and John was like, oh, they're all going to be here. Uh, minus minus uh, ODB, but Cappadonna was going to be there. So it was going to be uh, nine strong. John wanted to interview all of them at the table. And he was like, oh, it'll be fun as an intro bit. I know Jordan's a fan. Let's do an intro bit where everybody goes along, introduces themselves one by one by one, and we'll sneak Jordan in there and introduce <laughs> himself from Kalamazoo. Jordan's a mathematician. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then and it was like, and we can do a little bit where he tries to impress him, tries to rap or something like that. And, and literally, the executive producer comes in and says like, all right, what I need you to do, John, just pitch. It came in a meeting. I wasn't in the meeting when it happened. He was like, John wants you to be a part of the, the Woo uh, introduction. And if you could find uh, just, you know, uh, a, a little verse or something that if you could spit of Wu-Tang, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I was like, this is my dream. I literally had him write down on a notepad. Can you, I was like, can you write down what you just said? <laughs> it was like, Your job today is to find that. Oh, my <laughs> God. He writes it down. I'm like, this is, I couldn't, I'm like literally jumping in my office, my little cubicle. I'm like, this is incredible. I'm going through favorite things from Liquid Swords, all sorts of stuff. I'm like, I, I end up choosing like the first four lines from Triumph. Oh, my oh God. so so it was one of their. It was one of their. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's yeah, what it was. Yeah. Like, do you want me well, to write something? Do you want yeah. me to do that there? Well, how confident did you feel in writing something yourself? Not at all confident. I mean, excited and nervous. Sure. Yeah. But more excited when, because I, that, it was like, oh, you're going to spit some bars. I'm like, I'm going to do it. And then I was yeah. like, fuck, what do I have to do? Am I going to write some stuff? And then he was like, I think it's going to be more fun if you spit some of their bars back at them. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> I agree too. Because then it's just like, oh, <laughs> white guy trying hey, to. Hey, my name is Jordan and I'm here. It's a slippery slope right there. And so I, I, I prepped Triumph and then, uh, so excited. They do their rehearsal, which is also an amazing thing. The, one of the best parts about The Daily Show is when musical guests come on, you can watch them do their rehearsal. And that's like. I'm shocked that they rehearsed. Well, <laughs> honestly, they show up. The rehearsal is so funny because it's, it's super late. Ghostface doesn't show up. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, it's a mess. Mm -hmm. they're, they're high as can be. The, mm -hmm. the place just stinks to high heaven. Um, but watch it. They, they were doing the original song and they did Triumph. And. Uh, it's messy watching everybody be messy, but I'm just watching and it's fascinating to see like who comes prepped. Method Man is ready, knows how to be polished. You know, everybody else is so-so. RZA is pro and they, they practice Triumph and in Triumph, I think it's, is it Raekwon has a, a verse that's acapella or they were gonna do a verse that was acapella. Mm -hmm. I think it was gonna be Raekwon's. Um, and they do it in rehearsal. I'm like, Raekwon can't remember it. And it's a mess. <laughs> but RZA, RZA also, everybody looks like they're 45. RZA looks like he's 30 and rich. <laughs> he's all black. He just looks looks like money and a guy who like directs Hollywood movies. Yeah. Right? yeah. And he starts directing. Like It goes shitty. He starts directing folks around, puts it all together. In the final version, he takes the acapella. Because you just, it's like, okay, there's the pro who's still working in Hollywood. Yeah. Here's like, Ghostface shows up and everybody loves him. He's able to pull it off <laughs> because he's lovable. Method Man's able to turn it on. Jizza's like more out of it than you want him to be. <laughs> uh, you got Master Killer are still on the periphery. Uh, and Jordan? And Jordan, he's fucking yeah, <laughs> killing so, it. He is killing it. I go around. I'm so nervous. I introduce myself when we when we do it on the show. I wrap my little verse. Uh, John throws me off as the bit indicates. Afterwards, my heart's racing, and like Ghostface comes back, and he's like, "Respect, man, man." He's like, "Tough on the tongue, isn't it?" I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> tough on the tongue." 
<laughs> that night, I go home so jazzed, and I, I get high. I turn on The Daily Show, and I rewatch the segment, and I almost flip out because I was like, this is what I imagined would be my reality. 20 years ago, I was like, if I could dream one thing, it was like, Probably to be like on the Daily Show, but like even more than that, to be in the Wu Tang. Yeah. And I literally and get to watch so myself. High. <laughs> I'm so high. Yeah. I'm so high. I literally watch myself get introduced to <laughs> in the Wu Tang Clan. And I did have like this weird two minutes where I turned the TV off and I was like, like, am I in a Truman Show type situation <laughs> where I can manifest my own dreams? Like, I was a part of the Wu Tang Clan. Yeah. I just saw it with my own eyes. You go back the next day and you have to write a bit about Crimea. And it's like, okay, right. I, 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 I'm not a member of the Wu Tang Clan. I'm still doing satirical news comedy. <laughs> How did you find out that John was leaving? I was on the road doing a piece in, in Florida and uh, my phone blows up as I'm doing an interview and I get a call from the executive producer and it was like, oh, John just announced he's leaving and everybody's dealing with that. It, it was sort of like a meltdown at Daily Show headquarters where everybody was like, it was a huge surprise. Like he announced it, I think at two and then, uh, or maybe it was like four right before going into rehearsal and then kind of got out. And so that was a huge shock to everybody. And I'm on the road and like, wait, what? <laughs> taking a ton of, like I was, I think I'd been there for maybe a year at that point. And yeah, kind of heartbreaking. Yeah. Just, you know, I think there were, People have been around for a while. We're like, this could happen. Like They were talking about re-upping and John had moved to Jersey and people were like, I wonder if John's <laughs> going to wrap it up or what have you. But it was it was a, it was a weird experience. It was, it was even weirder to be like away from everybody just getting phone calls and text messages. Yeah. Did like, you yeah. think that there was a possibility that like his leaving would be the end of the show and maybe like you wouldn't be a part of it moving forward? And you'd have to join Wu-Tang. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Ghostface, he'd, <laughs> he'd write me a wreck, but I don't know if that's going to get me in. You know, I don't know which way Master Killer's leaving. <laughs> <laughs> but um, right, you have to get nine thumbs up. Yeah, <laughs> it's really tough. Even just get it. It's like, oh my god, yeah, you got, you got hasn't weighed in yet. Where's you got? You got eggs. I think I was probably overly optimistic. And looking back, I think it could have gone a lot of ways. I think people are like, don't worry. There's a lot of John's gonna be on for six more months. Like the goal is to keep it all moving and what have you. I think things were going on behind the scenes that could have gone in a lot of different directions. It could have. I don't think the show would have ended, but I think another host could have come in and gutted it, gotten all new correspondence, not had correspondence. I think I was maybe a little naive thinking like, of course we'll stay on yeah. and that'll be the case. Was there any part of you that was like, I'll be the host? I mean, there's part of me that wants that. You yeah. know, I think like, a, I think I wasn't cocky enough or <laughs> I had enough of a reality check to, to think, oh, I totally will get this. I think yeah. at the moment I'd be like, yeah, maybe they want a young new guy. Yeah. That, that would make sense. But and you're like, like, who said that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, they like me, John likes me, come on, John. Uh, I, but I, you know, at the time you're like, I wonder what they'll go with. There were rumors about like Tina Fey or Chris Rock that they'll go outside. You know, I was like, oh, Sam would be great. Like there could be internally, maybe there's something there. Who knows? What if it um, was Sam and Diane? See, that's what and <laughs> yeah. I pitched. I'm like, there's yeah. an improv group <laughs> know, yeah. in New York right now that is so good with puns. <laughs> Trevor comes in. Yeah. And uh, how well did you know him? I had met him like twice. The two times he came in for... Uh, doing his pieces on the show and I kind of sat in and helped like work on one of his pieces and then I met him uh, when he got the show I had like dinner with Trevor and then where'd you guys go we went to we went to an Irish bar me Trevor and the executive producer just to kind of have beers and chat about new show stuff and then 
he came in and started doing press and started working on the show with him. So it was, uh, honestly, we hit it off pretty quick. Tre Trevor, he came in and then whenever somebody comes in, you know, I was the new guy in the totem pole. Then a new guy comes in who's going to do a bit. And I'm like, how does this work? Is this guy going to do my bits or is it whatever? And I'm like, let's see, let's see how he is. And he just, he's a pro, ice in his veins. Like immediately I was like, shit, this guy's good, simple, one take, easy. I can see why he's so compelling, such an interesting story. Um, but he was a, kind of a relative unknown a little bit to a lot of people at the staff. You know, people known him a little bit, but he came on and to his credit, like he was very open and could have been like, screw it, new people, new whatever. And he sat down and was like, I want this to be collaborative. I want us to work together on stuff. I want to know what you want to do. And uh, I want to get rid of dogs. I like, want to yeah. get rid of dogs. I want to kill all dogs. I'm allergic. I was like, no, Trevor, big snake. Big snake the dogs thing, for God's sakes. <laughs> but he walked into crazy shoes. There were big shoes to fill and an office that had a, ran a very specific way. And uh, did, you, did you feel the change? I did. Like, I think, you know, it's becoming now more what he feels more comfortable with. Like, it was, it, I mean... I, th I think you started to feel there were a lot of experiments happening in the first six months of that show of like Trevor felt more comfortable as a storyteller stand up and they tried different things to bring that to it you had a lot of people wanted to tell John's story and John had things he was passionate about which like I think there was uh, an interesting he's like an old guard of somebody who was talking about Fox News talking about like uh, consistently breaking down uh, it was it was a, a satirical media show essentially, you know, and like let's con let's let's be media obsessives, watching Fox, knowing all the characters, knowing all that. Trevor didn't come in with those passions, cared about political issues, cared about big issues like race in a way that like he was really articulate and thoughtful on. But like when you were going down to like Janine Pirro said this and she said that a year and a half ago, or this is a Lindsey Graham hypocrisy. Like Trevor's like I don't he doesn't give as much of a shit about it. Right, and right. So you have some old guard who are like. This is this is what this show does, and you have some of Trevor was like balancing that with like, yeah, but maybe we spend more time with this, and I think we started to experiment with things that were like impro improvisational that worked and some didn't, and then things that were like more casual that worked and didn't, topics that felt more pop culture that worked and didn't, and so there was a lot of experimenting with that, um, uh, and and I think also Trevor getting comfortable with what that role was. I will say what was funny was like we talked a lot when I did the opposition. Um, cause it's a fucking nightmare running a show for the first time. It's exhausting. It's nerve wracking. You don't sleep. I never got that from Trevor, but as I talked to him in retrospect, he was experiencing all that. He just doesn't show it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think there was consistent fear. I don't want to put words in his mouth. He didn't show it, but like we would talk about stuff and he'd be like, oh, I'm thinking about doing this or this, or maybe this is something I'm not going to be around doing forever cause I want to do this or this. And then I talked to him a year and a half later and he was like, yeah, I'm terrified that, that first <laughs> year because it's chaotic and it's you're a million people in your ear you're being critiqued non-stop um and so i think we actually found a nice bond because he was open to like the th stuff that i want to do we had a good rapport and i think like i also fit into an archetype he could play off of in mm -hmm. a way that i think served him well and he was really open about like what do you want to do i'll help you try to get to that thing as well and how did you what was the piece that you thought really like got you attention outside of the daily show camp that Comedy Central was like, oh, we're really fucking with you, or maybe you know yeah, someone to the else. Point where like they would be like, oh, you want to know what? You should get your own show. I think they, I mean, they were always pretty supportive throughout. I, I'd done a few pieces on gun control, and they, and they got me. They basically gave me a special, and I think I got to do the a gun control special that I think they 
that I got to helm, they felt good about, and they were like, oh, this is a guy who can can do this kind of stuff, cares about this, will continue to uh, to invest in that. I, you know, some of the Trump rallies that I went to, I think, got a lot of internet buzz in a way that they liked, and I was able to, I think, around the election, cover a lot of that, and so they're they're pretty supportive of their talent and and as there was a lot of changeover i think the network kind of reached out to me and was like we you know we we trust in you and you're part of the show and want you to do specials and keep pitching us on ideas and trevor was very supportive of that and honestly i'm lucky they they gave me a special they gave me a couple shows and not everybody gets that and so uh yeah, I think I think I lucked out and was kind of given some opportunities that they feel they felt were successful enough to keep investing in. What was the diciest field piece that you had to do? I think for this new show, I mean, I got arrested, which was dicey. Mm-hmm. And this new one, I I did a. Uh, so that was actually dicey. That was. I would say the experience was harrowing because it was an arrest. Yeah. I would say the most dicey was uh, I traveled with some pipeline protesters into the bayou, whose gig is essentially to go to the pipeline, lock themselves up there until the police have to drag them out. And it can involve trespassing. The laws got changed. And I went out with them in the middle of the bayou in the middle of the night. We wake up at 2 a.m. You drive an hour into the bayou and then you get in these boats, like not enough flashlights, not enough anything. You get on the boats, you ride for an hour in pitch black. You see, you see gators everywhere. And then we get up to the site because they wanted to get on board. And the whole situation is less organized than you want it to be. Yeah. We kind of went down, and we went down with, with the assumption of, like, we're, we're media, we're following you, but we're going to have our own boat and all of this. With these kinds of protesters in the middle of nowhere, stuff changes, and they're like, we're not going out with a media boat. If you want to go with us, you got to get in this boat. you got to leave with us now. And, like, the network's like, no, you, we need you to do this. And they're like, we're doing this. And they're like, we're like, fuck, we're going to go with you in this. So it's like, grab our one camera. We're in this boat. We're in the middle of the bayou. We go to this place in the middle of the night. They wanted to go so they can go before there's workers there. And we arrive, and there's a police boat or slash security boat there. Lights on, and it follows us down the river, and it causes this wake. Our guys speed off, and they turn into the wake. And then the boat takes on water. The boat sinks, and they have to hightail it as the boat's sinking to the side. And suddenly, we have a fucking sunken boat. We're swimming ashore in the middle of the night. I think at that point, it's like 530, so it's pitch black. And we're like in the middle of fucking nowhere and there's police boats looking for us and we have no way to get a hold of anybody. <laughs> they're, they're freaked out by these police boats and this police presence. They literally have machetes, not to fight with these guys, but because they're like in the wooded area. Sure. And they got like camouflage on. And so like the optics are not good. Right. So yeah. there, I'm like, these are bad optics. They're freaked out. They're like, there's people in the woods looking for us right now. We need to duck. We need to hide. I'm like, I don't want to fucking hide from people with like. This is real life. This is yeah. this like, is this, not like Improv Olympic. This is not on the Norwegian cruise line. <laughs> this is not the Norwegian cruise line. You're soaking wet. I'm soaking wet. With a machete. <laughs> <laughs> there's like a, a machete fucking guy. These guys are running around. Some think it's funny. Some are scared to death. I'm like, I don't know how we're getting out of here. I didn't sign up for this. Right. Although um, you sort of did, you know. Yeah, I, mean, I guess I, I, mean, technically, I, t- I technically signed yeah. up for it. This is they were like, well, I want to go see what it's like to be out there. And you're like, I didn't want to really be out there. Jesus Christ, this is terrifying. And so it was, it was insane. It was, it was, it was harrowing. Uh, honestly, it was, it was great in retrospect because it was like this show is about trying to figure out what it looks like up close, and it's messy. And the Daily Show is 
a blast and I loved it, but they're controlled environments. Most yeah. of them are like, we're going to sit down with the interview. Right. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to pressure you and what have you. Sometimes you'd go into situations that was more experiential. The goal of this one was like, let's really go out there. But but there were definite spots like in that one, in the arrest as well, but specifically the bayou is where you're like, oh, this is this is dangerous. It's messy. It's If we really want to tell it, we kind of got to be out there with that. And I think... It was a it was a fun episode to do, but it was a <laughs> it was a it was nice to get home. At the yeah. End. Well, I know that like you didn't go into it being like I we have to find the funny in these crazy sort of circumstances, and so you didn't. Like I think that's like what the press has mostly been like around your show, where it's just like oh they this is a straight document. It yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 a really the press they're such nice people. Shout yeah. out to all your improv <laughs> teachers. <laughs> but like yeah, so like what was your thinking and and how have you enjoyed? I mean, because you've gotten great reviews. It's been they, they've we've gotten great reviews. We're 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 happy with the response. It was a it was a tough yet good challenge. I think like we did the opposition. Was proud of that show, but they were like, let's drop character. Let's drop all this shit. People want to see authenticity. They want to see real life. And like, so you played authentic. Right. Yeah, I played authentic. Yeah. Quote, unquote, right, authentic. You, yeah. you want quote, unquote, yeah. authentic, <laughs> which we joked a, a lot about. But as you go out there, like the, uh, I mean, Daily Show, you, you bring this certain amount of irony. You play with being a dummy in certain situations. And I play around with that a little bit on the new series. But we kind of challenged ourselves to be like, I, I'm not just going to be a dummy or an ass- asshole to be, an, uh, to be an asshole. And we went to places where like being an asshole wasn't the right thing. <laughs> I'm shocked. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, these are victims. These are they're immigrants who fought for this country who can't get back home to see their family. What do you want to go back yeah. to yeah. Mexico? Yeah. 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 You're yeah. suddenly like, oh, this, that joke we wrote in a room is not yeah. funny in this right. room. And so it was a good, it was a good challenge. I yeah. think it was like, oh, great. I might have to just be a human in this situation. Yeah. Let's try to find situations that are honestly dangerous. And a guy who's trying to be a part of a situation is a little inherently comic. So there's a lot of fish out of water moments of like, all right, I'll drop into your weird world for a couple, couple days. And that will be inherently comedic, but we'll kind of trust ourselves with going to dark stories and find, find some comedy and maybe find some poignancy there. And, I think we we ended up realizing we're making documentaries. I think yeah. you set out thinking like, oh, we're gonna make like comedy pieces, like The Daily Show, and you're like, oh fuck, we're making documentaries. It was like, all right, let's embrace that. Let's find comedic context. I'll I'll be funny on my feet in these sp- spots. I'll be funny with some of the context here. I'll choose not to be funny in places, and I think that will hopefully give us give us uh, more more leeway with these stories. Yeah, it's not so much a, de- a departure from what you were doing. It seems like an evolution, right? Yeah, I'd like to think so. I think like it was. The thing you don't get with six-minute pieces is any kind of nuance or three-dimensional characters. It's there's your good guy, there's your bad guy. It's like oh, if you spend a week with the people, it's more complicated. It's like let's let's embrace that. Let's let these stories be a little more complicated. Let's go to the bayou and tell a story about like an imperfect protest. It's I think it's I think it's funny. I think we have some really funny parts, but I think there's moments where we're like. In the Daily Show, you would do it, and you'd have like, "Here's your funny, weird question, a little bit of earnestness, and let's tag it with a dumb moment or what have you." And you get that, you get used to that rhythm. It's not always the most gratifying joke. It's like it checks the box of like, and that was a comedic moment that yeah. was ended. And you're like, when you do that for three, four years, you're like, I don't know if that's a great joke. It's just the rhythm we're used to. Right. So with this new one, it's like, let's let's break that rhythm. Let's yeah. Let this be a piece. Let's find like I think there's some really genuinely genuine funny moments that happen because you're like, oh, 
this is just earnestly there. And we started, you know, we, we had to balance. We, we'd go out there with stuff that felt like put upon jokes. And you come back, you're like, now it's not a documentary. Now it's a guy who's doing a joke and somebody's pretending like they don't see a joke. So we ripped all of that away. And it's like, it's got to really be there. Otherwise, otherwise, we're just playing pretend. Who do you screen it for that you really trust? That's a great question. Um, Finally. I know. Oh, my God. Yeah. I was yeah. Gonna say, yeah. yeah. I mean, the Method Man one was a weird one. That I was like, maybe this is a good question. It feels like a stretch. <laughs> but that one, that one really, that one really checks it off. We are, we are your third favorite podcast. So, yeah. But the third best question on all of the internet. Eighth best. <laughs> I think I got good. I have a, a buddy of mine who I've worked with uh, who is a writer on the show. I mean, everybody on the show I trust, but like a guy who I've, my last three projects, who I wrote. Uh, the uh, oh, but uh, reality show with. I don't know if you wanted to like keep it generic and be like one of the people who writes in the show. I really trust. I, I yeah. trust one. Yeah. I trust. They'll them all. figure it out. They yeah. will know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I go with people who I trust everybody on the show. But I think when when I step out and I show it to people who I've done four projects with, you know, that it's like, great. How is this working? Because I can show people who I trust at the Daily Show and they give me Daily Show notes. And I trust people who have seen other stuff and they give me other stuff notes. I trust my wife. Yeah. And I, I show it to my wife and she's like, yeah, that works. That doesn't work and do that. So my wife and then anybody who's got like, who who's known me for more than five years. Yeah. I think it's really helpful because there are those things in this one where you're like, I don't know if this is funny, but does it work? And they're like, yes, this is what is good. And you're like, yeah. So good. if we came in, yes, we don't, we haven't known you for very long. No. Just as long Not as long. this podcast. Yeah. Yeah, for like four hours. Yeah. 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 yeah if yeah. I was like, you know, the name. <laughs> Klepper. Yeah. <laughs> How tied are you to that? You know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a generic name. Yeah. I think, yeah. We can, we can brainstorm on it. All right. So you grew up in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Uh, where were you when the clapper came around? Because <laughs> I, I, I imagine that that like played some sort of it, it, it mattered more to you than to me. It did. I think like um, you know it became a part of culture, and so it it was it was a joke teachers would often make when they would read my name. They'd go clap. They'd go clapper. Um, klepto would be something they would mm-hmm. often go to. Um, which then klepto would sometimes go to. Pedo? I don't know what. Like that's 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 neither here nor there. Well, yeah. I mean, again, this, this is like it's kids trying to. Uh, was your was it Elon Musk? Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was, oh yeah, I also kitty fiddled. Did we not cover that? Yet? No, I, I don't think I so. Left yeah, that yeah, out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, cla- Clapper definitely was a thing that has also impeded uh, people actually learning my name, which I've I've started to learn when you name a show Clapper, mm-hmm. and you realize for some reason still people, the associations people have are like, oh, what is that? I'm like, it's my name. <laughs> and people mispronounce it, which it's just how it's spelled. Wait, mispronounce it how? They Kleeper? often go, Clopper? they go Kleeper, or they go Kepler, which mm. I, this is a here, there's a branding issue, and this is why I might not be so successful when it comes to having television shows named after me. But I think people think of Johannes Kepler more than they think of Jordan Kepler, <laughs> Klepper. <laughs> and so they say Kepler sometimes. I'm going to tell you, nobody thinks yeah. of yeah. Johannes sure? yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people think about Johannes Kepler. Leave Kep- a comment <laughs> if, if you've ever thought about Johannes Kepler. <laughs> uh, you know, I just think you're, you're you know, you, you guys... You're, you're talking down to your audience. Right? Yeah. My mock trailer's out there. They're going to love this interview. They're going to talk about Johannes Kepler. We're going to totally rebrand this whole thing. That's right. Yeah. Bring the locks back and talk, <laughs> talk Ulysses, you guys. Are you still the same guy from Kalamazoo? No. Uh, taller. Yeah. I'm taller. Yeah. I mean, human beings, I'm told that like their entire body changes every seven years, that we like, we like 
continue to regrow. Really? Where did you read this Reddit? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it might be. It's definitely something that's worth Joe doing. Rogan's it, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Is this what Greg Proops retweeted? <laughs> It's, I'd like to think it's all of those things. I'd like to think it's a it's a Greg Probst retweeted Reddit comment that Joe Rogan made. Yeah. <laughs> That's the name of my empire. Group. Yeah, that's a good one. Great, they do great, great grounded scene work. Um, I don't know if that's true. That you, I read somewhere that that's the case, and it sounds it sounds dubious. Yeah, but I, but the more I, you I, say it out loud, yeah, yeah every seven years, <laughs> right, right. But I like the I, I think I retain a lot of Kalamazoo pride and all of that. But I I look back. Uh, yeah, I th- I th- I think you I'm completely different because I've been shaped by the experiences since then, in a good way. You want I'm gonna make an esoteric thing that I noticed this morning. Oh, here it comes. You ready? Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, I was reading Ulysses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> did you borrow it from the Clinton Library? <laughs> Steal it? Yeah. <laughs> I did. Yeah. Bill owned me Ulysses. I tried to read Ulysses a few years ago, and I couldn't get through it, but I was like, I want to read this book. I hear it's great. I do like James Joyce. No big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But I had underlined a few things, and I started it a couple days ago. I'd been like, fuck it. I need to, I need to f- finish this book. It's this, it's this white thousand whale. I haven't read page. that book yeah. either. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a thousand-page, very difficult thing. But I, I gone through it, and I had these things underlined, and I reread it this morning, and they didn't make no fucking sense. And I can't figure out what... I saw in the passages. I literally was like, I don't know why I'm underlining this. And I think like, it is funny even thinking of where I was two years ago, where I'm like, the little I've started to piece together, it's like, I I thought this book was about this one thing, or I'm making references because I think it's profound in one way, that I've read it again. I'm like, I don't think that at all two years later. That should be your Amazon review. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This book makes no sense. (laughs) Talk to me in two years, right now. The Jordan of right now has no idea what this book is all about. I think that book is all about a buffalo and a convertible. That's what it is. I I just got to get to the end. Jordan, congratulations on on Klepper. Congratulations on your entire journey to this point. And we're really looking forward to everything you have coming up. Guys, thanks for talking to me. Yeah, no doubt. Well, you know. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this new episode of Waste Time with It's The Real. Jeff, if you want to find out more about us, I'm Eric, you're Jeff. Together, we are It's The Real, one word, no apostrophe, no spaces. If people want to find out more about this podcast, A Waste of Time with It's The Real, or Two Jews and Two Black Jews Review the Movies. If people want to find out more about what's going on with us in general, Jeff, where can they go? You can always go to itsthereal.com, I-T-S-T-H-E-R-E-A-L.com. Everything you want to know about us is at itsthereal.com, including... We have merch for sale. We've we got mugs. We've got t-shirts. We've even got notebooks that we call rhyme books. Get all of that at itsthereal.com. You can also find all of our old episodes and new ones of our podcast on any streaming platform. Wherever you're listening to this right now, go listen to some more episodes. Search for A Waste of Time with It's The Real or just search for A Waste of Time or even just search for It's The Real. It's so easy. It's, it's so easy. It's actually like stupid how easy it is. It's so dumb. You can also search for Two Jews and Two Black Jews Jews movies. Or again, just search for It's The Real. They'll both show up. It's the best thing to do online. This is the part of the podcast where we like to shout out our friends out there who have been longtime listeners, some of them who are new listeners to us. It doesn't matter. We salute you out there, and we want to shout out two people today. Jeff, who do you want to shout? I want to shout out 
Jersey Boy, aka CJ McFly from Twitter, who has been very vocal, very good supporter. Um, I also, I know we agreed to only one and one. We just agreed. We just agreed to one and one. But I'm gonna uh, throw another one out there. I want to shout out Fitz the Real. Actually, both Fitz the Real accounts. So you've gone from like one to three. One to three. Okay. Yeah, just like my uh, my daytime job <laughs> at the uh, one p.m. to three p.m. Yeah, at the strip club. Shout out to uh, Fitz the Real. F I T S. Yeah, real. And also. Fits the real F-I-T-Z. Yes. And if you're asking me to choose which one I like better, I can't. They're both my children. There you go. But Fits the Real, uh, <laughs> they they have been doing uh, fan account stuff for us, which has been awesome. Yeah, like and they unexpected. Photoshop us into Joe Budden outfits. They'll Photoshop us onto uh, covers of famous albums. They'll Photoshop us based on what we've talked about in episodes. Maybe they'll talk about this weekend, all the drugs that I was on, and put us into like I don't know. Yeah. But then one of crazier situations than I can even dream. But then I wonder what like my what what they're gonna Photoshop me as in that backgammon. Yeah. Something backgammon. Yeah. Baby got backgammon. <laughs> I want to shout out C Y M R T W one. It's a catchy name. Very. It's a catchy name <laughs> that people know and love. C Y whatever. M R T W one. Okay. Yeah. Them. Um, they have a great name and uh, and conquer your mind, rule the world. I'm with it. I'm down. Shout out to them for shouting oh, us that's out. What it, that's what it stands for. What's that? Conquer your mind, rule the world. One. Whoa. Mind. Fucking. Blown. Wait, you didn't get. Are you still high? <laughs> I, I, th- I think I am. And we'll see what happens next week. As always, Jeff. Not for real, for real. Sure, sure. We'll see you guys next week. Right. 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 Right.